Hi, I'm Samantha Boffin, and this is Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing, the podcast that helps you find, prep, and direct the perfect voice artists for your projects so you can get the most from every single booking. As a director, getting the best out of your voice actor is at the heart of what you do. There can be many different reasons why a voice artist might need extra support. Perhaps they're an author who's narrating their own book, an actor who's new to voice work, an established voice who's new to that particular genre, or perhaps they're simply nervous or mastering an accent for the first time. Now, a director who can adapt in the moment and pull some solutions and ideas out of their voice directing box of tricks is going to save the day. This week, I'm talking to Nick Redman, who's a voice actor and a vocal coach and accent specialist. She's worked with celebrities, voice artists and business professionals right across the media, from the BBC and Netflix to corporate clients and as a tutor at major drama schools. She is all about the idea that little, simple things can make a huge difference to our voices. Hello, Nick. Hi. What a lovely intro. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so... so you're a vocal and accent coach. So what does that that actually mean? Yeah, so I work with anybody who has a voice who feels like they can be using that voice in a better way, I suppose. And for me, my modus operandi is very much about the person's individual voice. It's not about an archaic idea that they need to sound a particular way or have a particular accent or, you know, do some kind of ridiculous elocution style training. It's about taking the individual, understanding the needs of their voice and or the accent, if you're teaching an accent, and um, helping them find exactly what they need in the most easy and efficient and, well, most of the time fun way, I hope. (laughs) It's really just about unlocking speaking potential and showing people that their voice can be there for them in all those heightened situations that they may not realise make them feel nervous, you know, especially at the moment with people doing lots of speaking online and, and via webcams and all sorts of things that we, we, we're not used to. Yeah. And just making sure that people know that their voice is reliable. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even even just podcasts. I mean, I know so many people who are actually, you know, being interviewees yeah. uh, on podcasts. It's quite common at the moment. So actually almost every Everybody is using their voice at the moment in one way or another. Yeah, and podcast interviews can be quite nerve wracking as well, depending on, you know, who you're talking to and, yeah. and you know, whether you're a big fan of the podcast. And some of us don't realise what happens to your voice when you get in that situation. So, yeah, it's it's dead easy to make it um Easy for your, easier for yourself, yeah. but um, a lot of people aren't aware that that kind of training exists. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, how do you work with voices? Is have you got a typical approach? Or the first thing really is about listening. So um, it's about listening and understanding. Um, a lot of people. Nobody is coming to a voice coach going, I don't know how you can help me. I just someone told me I need voice help. <laughs> They're always coming with a thing. Now, that thing could be so and so told them their voice was a bit too sibilant or too uh, high pitched or not resonant enough or some kind of other thing that mm. is, um, you know, a pretty judgmental statement to make about something so personal as the voice. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes it's an experience they've had and they realize that actually they've done their first audiobook and their voice got really tired after for a few hours and they didn't realise that that was something they needed to deal with and maybe it's someone who's come to voiceover from broadcasting which is a, a very common crossover and they actually you know they've been 
try and voice over because they've got a nice voice and they enjoy it. But yeah. they suddenly realise actually in certain situations they're not able to get as much out of their voice as they want to. So the first thing I do is listen. Um, I take on board what they're saying seems to be the problem or the reason I want to engage my, in my services. Um, meanwhile, I'm doing sort of a Sherlock kind of scan of what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, any kind of... Um, articulation features, any kind of resonance quality or tonal quality things that may be an issue, breath, physicality as well. You know, I'm looking if most of these days it's on Zoom, isn't it? So rather than seeing them in the flesh, I'm sort of looking in the camera and going, oh, there's some shoulder tension or whatever. So it's about an assessment in that way. And then it's also about understanding why they need to use their voice if there's a time scale, you know, do they need this done? Have they suddenly got a massive interview on the BBC that they need to be ready for or a huge audition coming up or whatever, just working out time scale and then sort of getting a plan together um, to get them where they need to be for yeah. the time that they need it. So is being able to see them very much part of it? For me, yeah. I mean, I like being able to see them because I do get visual clues from that. But interestingly, what you find is that uh, the more experienced you get at hearing certain features in the voice, the more you realise what the problem may be. So even when um, there's been no camera or, you know, the flipping internet's been having a holy and not wanted to <laughs> connect properly and you've had to turn the cameras off, I can still I can still hear the tensions in the voice. I can still hear the body habitual tensions that may be creeping in. And for a lot of people... Obviously, nearly all these um, inquiries are different and people need different things to sort problems, but a lot of the same things come up. So, you know, I could say, well, do you feel like your shoulders are tense? And they'll go, yes, how did you know? And I'm like, because I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> um, so it's it's a benefit, but it's not absolutely necessary. But for me as well as a person, like I like the connection that comes with seeing people. You know, it's about building that connection. When you're working online with someone for the first time, it's nice to be able to read their body language a little bit and to give them the body language that I like to give over as well to make them feel welcome and warm and valued. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've obviously I've done quite a few of your courses, and uh, and and all of them start with relaxation, and uh, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> we're lying on the floor, or oh, we're getting, yeah. you know, there, there's there's all of that, and you re- you don't realise until you're doing those exercises how much tension you're holding, and I suppose it's different for everybody, but how much tension you're holding in different parts of your body. Mm, one of the main things that this starts with is awareness. Nearly everybody, someone will come going, my voice gets tired and assume it's a voice issue. And then five minutes in, they realise it's the fact that they, you know, can't release, they haven't released their pelvic floor in 25 years or, you know, they've got spinal issues or they had hip surgery 10 years ago and their alignment's off or physicality and awareness is huge in voice work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so now I notice on your website, you've got testimonials there from directors, which is interesting because my assumption would have been that the testimonials you would have had would be mainly from the people that you're directly working with, the the, the voice actors yeah. and so forth. So how does that work? So you clearly work with actors, but directors can feel the benefit. Yeah. So the the relationship between a, a voice coach and a director, depending on the situation, can be one that is incredibly fruitful and really beneficial for everyone. Or it can be something that is kind of slightly tough to navigate um, and a little bit awkward, you know, uh, and that very much depends on the director. And I would always say to people, listen, please don't feel threatened if a performer wants a voice coach with them mm-hmm. or if there is a voice coach employed on a production that you're working on um, because they're here to help and to assist and to sort of 
we can be a conduit between the director and the performer sometimes, which I think is really useful. So, so for example, you know, I've dial, I would often and have done um, sort of dialing into live sessions for TV shows that are getting you know pickups done, or and and the the voice actor has to match what they did six months ago, but they've they've got a cold that day, <laughs> and you know their voice is different. So it's about understanding that we're there to help the performer get what they need for the director. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, in, in theatre situations, if you're a voice coach on a, on a play or on TV, your job is to be as kind of invisible as possible because the director doesn't really want the bother of you being there. Um, but some people like to have a voice coach or an accent coach kind of on call with them. So you have to kind of sneak around and uh, listen <laughs> to what the director's saying and then kind of swoop in and try and help the the performer get there yeah but presumably you have because you're you're performing yourself anyway Mm -hmm. so do you find sometimes that I mean there must be some directors who are actually slightly lost in terms of how to talk to a voice so that a voice can interpret properly what they're saying yeah I think there can be a little disconnect sometimes with directors and the voice in terms of how to get the right sound out of them or the right delivery because every actor takes on direction in a very different way and every director has a very different style so there in that if you imagine that you know that hour session to record that commercial you've got to it it's not just the director is taken for granted that the the voice will know exactly what they want with what they're saying you you don't have the time to form a relationship and understand that director's process or the director understand the voice's process and the way they react there's a huge kind of um gulf of we've got an hour to do this there's loads of pressure time is money why are they not doing what I want them to do? It doesn't sound like I thought it was going to sound. And the, and the voice is going, he doesn't seem happy and I don't know why. I'm doing what I thought was warm. It sounds warm to me. Like, what do I do? So yeah, uh, voice coaches can be really helpful in that situation because we can swoop in and maybe do something that's slightly more technical yeah. and less emotional, for example, to, to sort of help with that. But, I, you know, I, I always feel like with directors you just have to make sure like we're there to support and enhance what the director wants to get out of the voice and what the voice can bring um you know we're not there to to override anybody's desires <laughs> so so if there's so you would you were talking about if, if, if voice is anxious or if they're nervous is there anything that are there any tips you've got that could help a director in the moment if you've got an anxious or nervous voice in the booth how do you calm their anxiety yeah, so I think the important thing to remember here is the idea that, like I said, voice is a holistic practice. You cannot separate mind, body and voice. So one of the things I would say try and avoid doing is direct statements that tell them not to feel like that, even if it's in a nice way. So, you know, often a director will say, um, oh, please don't feel nervous or why don't you try to relax or, you know, something like that. And, and those sorts of statements make you go, yes, OK, I'll try really hard now to relax. Oh, gosh, I must be coming across as nervous. Oh, dear. Um, so I would say, firstly, try not to name what you think you're instinctively seeing. You know, if they look nervous, think about how you would want to be made feel in that situation. And I think... Um, One of the things you can do to avoid or to try and um, make the voice feel comfortable is just give them a little bit of time to orient themselves in the space. You know, sometimes we're going in that booth on our own. It's a really big gig for us, maybe. And there's like bloody seven people from the creative team and the director and the guy on the desk and (laughs) someone from the studio and there's all sorts going on. So give them the time to orient themselves. Allow them to get in the booth to 
decide, you know, ask them things like, would you like to stand or sit? Get in there, have a little look around, you know, is the mic position okay? Would you like some water? All that kind of stuff that makes us feel really valued. Um, And then if you do feel like nerves are getting in the way or you can hear it in, for example, the breath, because the breath is often the first thing to go with nerves, is to make sure they can find themselves in a physical position where they're getting a good connection to the floor. So they're feeling stable. So physical stability is a really good way of um, counteracting the kind of nervous um, fight or flight kind of response where you're sort of almost on tiptoes ready to flee, whatever the danger is. You know, in this case, it's not a saber toothed tiger. It's just a, a director you've wanted to work with for years and years. Um, there may be a saber-toothed tiger, I don't know. Um, so if you just remind them to sort of get their feet on the floor, um, give the shoulders a little roll, maybe try and encourage them to release some physical tension in the body, that's really beneficial for settling nerves. Um, so if you get them to do some shoulder rolls, some neck stretches. And another thing I would caution is um, the instinctive thing to say to people when they're nervous is take a deep breath Um or anxious to take a deep breath and actually what you need to get them to do is focus on the out breath and just allow that in breath to respond to the body's need for breath because breath is actually the in breath is responsive to use of the out breath so if we as long as we breathe out our body will breathe in for us because otherwise we die <laughs> <laughs> so um, by saying take a deep breath what you're doing is telling them to just take a breath wherever they happen to be breath wise right now so if I took a breath right now I'd actually feel quite tense because I had breath. I didn't need any breath. What I needed to do was get the breath out, take a moment and let my body take as much breath in as it then needed to get on with, you know, whatever the next thing is. So I think it's about physical stability and connection to the floor, physical release, getting them to even get them to stand up and jiggle around a bit, shake their arms um, and also focusing on the out breath as opposed to the in breath. Yeah. Having that moment when you, the minute you walk into the booth, you you might have a dozen things that are on your mind. You've had a terrible journey there or, you know, you're worried about what you're cooking for tea in the evening or 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 there's something else going on in your life. So that ability to be able to take a moment for for somebody to actually acknowledge that you might need (laughs) a tiny bit of time to, you know, adapt to this new space if you like yeah and it could be a new studio with you know you or you may have been expecting to be able to sit and there was no chair and you're going god I wanted to sit down I wonder is it okay to ask for a chair like you know just put yourself in that situation with all those people behind the glass and say what would I like right now I'd maybe like someone to offer me a cup of tea yeah (laughs) I'd like someone to (laughs) have a little bit of conversation I know time is money and you know we've got to get on with these things but you'll get a better performance more quickly if you just give the voice a little bit of time to settle themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So that actually that whole thing about breath and flow, as I say, I've, I've done your voice classes and that that idea of breath, that idea of outward breath and the flow of your breath through your body is really important. Now, why? Why is it important? Well, um, let's say in voice training, we have this kind of gentle saying that is it's one breath one thought which is based on the idea that when we're speaking our body knows how much breath it needs to get through the thought that we want to communicate so you know if I know I'm going to say this sentence to you I probably know where this sentence is going to end so before I want to say this sentence my body takes in the air that it needs to get through that sentence Mm -hmm. Um, when you're working with somebody else's sentences i.e. somebody else's thoughts, you don't have that uh, instinctive reaction in the body. 
So what happens in voiceover, I find a lot, is that voices tend to sort of stack the breath in and take huge breaths because they don't know where this. If you're sight reading something for the first time, or you arrive in the studio and there's been a rewrite, you know, and you've prepped something, but now it's changed a wee bit. Um, you need some time to orient yourself with that script because you don't know where the thoughts end. So what can happen is people end up with not enough breath to get through the sentence and then it sounds a little bit strained at the end. (laughs) Um, Or they end up with like loads of breath and then you get a little bit more tension or kind of subglottic air pressure underneath the vocal folds where things feel a little bit more restricted and a little bit um, less comfortable. Um, Subglottic, sorry. (laughs) Oh yes, sorry. (laughs) Uh, so the space between your vocal folds is called the glottis. The vocal folds are two little mm, flaps, <laughs> won't go into too much detail. And they kind of oscillate together, um, they kind of wave together. And the space in between them is called the glottis. Underneath that space um, is this is, is called the sort of subglottic area, I suppose. Um, and that's where the breath is held. Now, uh, traditionally, your vocal folds weren't for voice at all. They were for um, stopping stuff getting into your lungs. Oh, wow. Um, you know, before we realised we could communicate and start going, oh, 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 um, and developing language, all your vocal folds were there was a valve to stop stuff getting into your lungs and then also close that space so that you could have um, that interior body kind of pressure to lift things. Mm. So, you know, if you're lifting something, you go, yeah, and you kind of instinctively close the two sphincters at the top and the bottom of the body. That's enough detail for that. <laughs> um, but we feel clenching in two places. That's at the top and at the bottom. Yeah. Um, so voice came differently when, you know, we evolved as uh, communicating humans. So subglottic pressure is the pressure that comes from the breath underneath the vocal folds. That's probably the short reason. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's good. That's I, probably I, the short description. As, as you were going through these sort of lifting things, I was standing in the booth thinking, yeah, what do I do? So I, I did bend down and lifted something in my mind. And you're right, it is. It's those those elements yeah. that you're tensing. Yeah. 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 So, sorry. Um, subglottic. I can't remember what we're saying now. <laughs> sorry. Oh, yes. yes. One breath, one thought. That's ironic. Um, yeah. So with breath and flow, particularly at the moment, because a lot of the vibe at the moment in voiceover is conversational reads, sounding like you're not reading at all, which is the hardest of all the mm-hmm. reads to do. And one of the reasons for me that that is tough that I see in my clients is uh, breath, because we get that disconnect in day to day life. I know that my body will take the breath it needs to say the thought I have. And that's why I sound like I'm having a conversation because I am having a conversation. Yeah. When you're working with someone else's thoughts in the conversation they want you to read, then you're already up against this disconnect because you don't know where the thoughts end. Your body doesn't know the length of the thoughts. And therefore, the breath sometimes can get in the way or it, um, you know, it's not there for you or there's too much of it. And it makes voicing a lot more sort of um effortful. Um, So breath is a really, really key thing, I think, for voiceovers and for voice directors to understand as well. Um, And like I said, one of the main things that will go first when you're nervous is the breath. So if you're trying to get a conversational read out of somebody where the breath needs to be relaxed and maybe there's a few moments where you get a few nice gentle breaths in there because, well, that's how it sounds, (laughs) you know, in real life. Um, if, If you're already dealing with nervous breath plus somebody else's thoughts so your body's not used to the thought lengths and doesn't know how much breath to take there's a lot going on there there's a lot for mm. the voice actor to get yeah. through and also there was a time I don't think it is so much now you're right about the conversational voice part of it it used to be that people wanted you to remove breaths I don't 
have that so much now. People like the breaths left yeah, in for, neither. you know, because it makes the voice sound more natural. And interestingly, then what you need to make sure is that the voice actor is in a position where they're relaxed enough so the breaths don't sound like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because one of the things, you know, when you are a bit nervous or you're in a situation where you're, you can leave the breaths in, is you don't want a breath that's super, super noisy that's going to be really intrusive. Mm. Um, and also you don't want breaths all the time. So if I was saying a sentence and I kept breathing in a position where it didn't feel, oh God, I can't even do that. I'm going <laughs> to hyperventilate. Um, it starts to become like a sort of tick, doesn't it, yeah. for the listener? Um, so yeah, it's about, on. there are ways of reducing noisy in-breaths, but that's quite a kind of technical thing. But the main thing is relaxing and release. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. And so, but if you're wanting, if you you were talking about directors wanting often specific outcomes, they, 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 they've written that piece of copy, that piece of script to do a certain job. Now, sometimes it's a drama job, you know, and you're, it's part of your character, but at other times it might be a corporate job or an advertising piece of copy. And you might want them to bring something quite specific across. So are there different ways of approaching that sort of direction that are more effective than others? Yeah, I think two things are useful to think about here. One is um, use of the body. So um, if you can encourage the voiceover and they're they're happy with it to to use their body a bit. So if you want something kind of warm and conversational, try and get them to use their hands because that really informs the voice. If you want them to be energetic, you know, often in in one-to-one coaching sessions, I have people like dancing, you know, <laughs> like moving around. If you want them to be energetic, get them to bring the energy into their body because yep. that will also bring the energy into the voice. And then the other thing that I think is really useful to have in your back pocket is an understanding that you've got so much to work with in the text that you've written that you can use technically to inform the vocal delivery. So one example of this is the idea of what the vowels and the consonants bring to language. So in, in my world, there's an idea that the vowels bring the emotion and the consonants bring the clarity. And that makes sense. You know, a baby isn't born into the world going, Mother, I'm hungry. It's it's born going, <laughs> which is an open vowel. There's no clarity or understanding there. Um, so if you're working with someone and you want something that's more of an emotional an emotionally driven um, direction, like can it be warmer? Um, can they sound friendlier? Um, I need this to sound more engaging or um, empathetic or sad. I would look at the vowels there because that's where the emotion hides. Uh, we tend, there's loads in vowels, but if you think about vowels in two categories as long and short, we have long vowels like ooh as in um, soon, E as in fleece. We have the slidey ones like face, mouth, all sorts, and depending on your accent, of course, mouth, mouth. Um, and then we have short vowels with like uh, kit, dress, strut, yep. that kind of thing. And those in themselves bring to very different emotional feels. But if you want them to get an, uh, uh, something emotional, then I would say a direction you could give is, can you give me a little bit more in the vowels? Can I have more from the, if the, if the sentence is, Oh, gosh, uh, a sentence. Uh, soon, coming soon to a cinema near you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got an ooh, you've got coming soon to a cinema, which is quite punctuated and nice, near, which is long, e, and ooh, you. So if you said, can you give me a bit more on the long vowels? Yeah. Then what you might get is a little bit more emotion from that side of things. 
Then, of course, if you want them to be energetic, you could go into the consonants instead and find some punctuation there um, with the kind of stress and the intonation with using the consonants. So, um, we again, there's loads of stuff in consonants, but two basics are fricatives and plosives. So the plosives are the ones that often get spoken about in a negative way, the ones mm-hmm. that pop yeah. on the mic. Yeah. Um, they're quite energetic. They have a stop and a release phase. So, for example, to make a t sound, you have to stop when the articulation contact happens between the tongue tip and the little bumpy bit above your teeth and then you only get the toe when you release the sound t t yeah t whereas a fricative is made with friction between two articulators so if you're making a v um then the sound happens because you get that friction rather than that stop and that release phase but those two consonants have very different energies so if mm. the word love Love. That V is gorgeous, you know, and that's a really mm. nice sound you could use in that. Um, plosives like um, better get to the shop, you know, you got yep. better get to the shop. There's some nice plosives in there to give it a bit of drive and a bit of energy. So really remember you can use what's on the page in terms of single sounds and not just words themselves. Yes. No, it's, it's fascinating, actually, because, of course, in in many circumstances, the copy will have been written to do precisely what you're talking about. You know, if, you, if you're wanting something that is, um, I don't know, engaging and warm and enticing, you're going to use very different words from the yeah. kind of words that you might use if you're wanting somebody to, you know, get something done really quickly or you know, do that now. It's, it's they're very different, um, very different scripts, actually. Yeah, and I love the fact that sometimes people write things and they don't realise that's what's happened. You know, sometimes the use of language in copy, of commercial copy, for example, because there's so much in commercial copy, some people, they don't realise that what they've put in is actually portraying the emotion that they want anyway. And yeah. they spend a lot of time try- using adjectives to try and get the voiceover to, to, to feel a certain way or portray a certain emotion. And really, if you just said, look at all those lovely fricatives and those gorgeous long vowels, can you just <laughs> use that to structure the sentences and see what that does? So it's so this sort of thing, the, the kind of thing that you're, you're talking about here in terms of um, really looking at the language, really using your voice, being able to use your voice in different ways. Is that the sort of thing? Because you've got a new podcast that's just been released, I think, a brand new podcast. Yeah, I yes. do. The Voice Coach Podcast. Good, good. Yes. So the Voice Coach Podcast, now that's aimed at people who speak for a living, which, yeah. of course, is most of us these days. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So that sort of looking at language and the way that we can use our voice to enhance it, is that the sort of thing you might be covering? Yeah, down the line, there'll definitely be some stuff on the language and the use of the words and that sort of thing. Initially, the first burst is really about... understanding warm-ups. It's about um, up-to-date vocal health advice (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I see a lot of well-meaning but outdated anecdotal advice on what you should or shouldn't drink and what you should or shouldn't eat and how to look after your voice and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, you know, I'm a bit of a geek and it's my responsibility to be a bit of a geek about the vocal health element of things. So um, what I'm trying to offer is the most up-to-date information that I have in my arsenal about how to look after your voice. Um, There's also some great stuff in there initially about mic technique 
um, and alignment in the booth and how that can help you with vocal fatigue. And then as we go on each week, it's a short episode of 10 to 15 minutes of me offering up some insights and exercises and information about a different element of voice training. So basically then it's going to go through a lot of stuff about breath, resonance and vocal quality, things you can do to explore the potential and the range of your voice, articulation, um, and then on to text at the end because one of the first episodes is called How to Structure a Voice Warm-Up. And um, as a little Mm. teaser, one of the things that we tend to work through um, as voice coaches is a little progression of um, release breath, resonance, articulation, text. So that's kind of the... You know, the idea being that you wouldn't, you shouldn't go straight in and just do a tongue twister for your warm up. You need to do some physical release first and you need to think about the breath and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, again, it doesn't have to take a long time and that's what the podcast's about. But then eventually, what I will get to with this one, um, because it's weekly, is some stuff about text and using the language and stuff as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> So it's geeky, but it's no. But I mean, but actually, even in the 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 early part of that, even in the stuff you're doing, you know, right now, um, a direct there's so much in there actually that a director mm. would find useful because if you're if you're working with voice actors all the time, then actually having a window into their world is incredibly useful because all sorts of stuff that you can bring into your own dealings with them. Yeah, and I think if you're seeing a voice actor in a position where, like, no voice actor is going to admit that this is the first big commercial they've ever done, or the first time they've been out of their home studio. Um, but if you see them tripping up over something, and you can suggest a little articulation exercise that you've heard on some useful podcast somewhere, I don't know where would you find that, um, then it just also shows that you understand and that you have. Um, something to offer them that isn't just mm, can you make it sound warmer yes absolutely <laughs> um, yeah. because the, you know it is really frustrating as a voice actor and it happens to the best of us if you for some reason just keep tripping up with the same word or you can't get pronounce it right or something is going on so if you can offer a little exercise um, to help them through that then I think that's really valuable as a director yeah no d- definitely because and, and one of your specialities is accent coaching isn't it yes yeah, yeah. so the and often actually again for, for straightforward corporate work there is a tendency to hire a specific actor with a native accent but mm. of course there are so many voiceover genres that require you to be more flexible than that to, to, to have a flexibility of accents so what are your thoughts on casting an approach that a director can have to casting for a voice that needs an accent or a variety of accents so um I, this is probably controversial for an accent coach, but I would always go native if you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, I am very, very good at accents, but I most of the work I do is in my own accent because that's when I sound the most conversational and the most authentic and the most real yeah. for commercial and corporate stuff anyway. Character stuff is different, of course. Um, so I think cast native if you can, because the truth of it these days is there's one of us out there somewhere who's got the accent you need. Yes. Um, I think... The other thing then, if you've got a brief that requires multiple accents, is please don't underestimate how hard that can be for a voice actor. So um, find out that they can do the vo- do the accents you need. Um, mm. Find out that they're comfortable switching between and you know the time that you've got available, and give them the space to to have a little in phrase or change the oral posture or change the physical energy to find that accent. And then the other thing I would say is about um, specificity when casting. So this is project dependent, obviously, but there's nothing worse as uh, an Irish voice, for example, when I just get a brief that says um, I an Irish voice, someone <laughs> with an Irish accent. And I'm like, right. 
Um, which one to start with? Because like, there are there are two very, very, very basic, <laughs> very politically kind of. But does that still um, happen then? That the, the fact I still that get people not knowing if they want Northern or Southern Irish and not knowing the difference. Wow. Um, which I feel like these days with Dairy Girls and um, you know all the other stuff out there, the brilliant shows with more accents in that, like, and also the, our 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 ability to get on the internet and have a Google. Like, where in Ireland do I want this yeah. person to sign from? Now, the answer could be, it doesn't matter. And that's like, great. Well, do you want me to do this version you get here now? Or do you want me to do something a little softer that's more like the south of Ireland? You know, because I, I can do many of them. <laughs> but um, there is yeah. there is um, a respect, I think, that comes with specificity, particularly for somewhere like Ireland, where, you know, you can't get away from some of the political connotations that come with certain sounds. And that's yes. within Northern Ireland and the, and the Republic of Ireland as well. Um, so yeah, yeah so I think specificity it's the same you know my husband's from Yorkshire and you know if a casting comes through and he's like it says northern that's no like no use it's no use to you as a director you're going to get submissions from everywhere yeah no, my, my husband's from Wigan and he yeah, has the same <laughs> not, not that he does voice work but he, he gets really irritated by the fact that people sort of generically put northern voice yeah come on like where do you like northern is basically anywhere above Watford Gap you're like <laughs> in terms of the media you know anything that's not within the M25 is in the regions yeah. um, and you know that's something that needs um, understood so I'm not saying you have to say Skelmersdale in Liverpool, <laughs> but you specific. know, yeah, exactly. If you want like Liverpool, or you want, I mean, gosh, it, even just decide between Lancashire and Yorkshire can yeah. save yourself a lot of time. Um, but accent perception is in the ear of the listener ultimately. So you know, it's about you opening up your listening and, and understanding what you really want from this, from the voice, um, and and if you're it also helps us make choices then because as actors, if they go, oh, just something northern, I'm like, well, they would do like Lancashire, sort of wrote it like that, like I'm from kind of that area or oh, do you want Yorkshire, like my husband sounds like that sort of thing or or do you want northeast? Like it, it helps us be better in the accent that you want because we know what you want. Yes. And and also the the clarity, the, the, the amount you want. I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you want something very broad or if you want something, um, you know, lighter or just a hint of yeah. an accent. Yeah, there's um, all accents exist on a spectrum. But again, that spectrum is very subjective to the listener. So because I'm from Ireland, what's Irish to me is probably so Irish you couldn't understand mm. it, you know, um, whereas I can and that wouldn't be very Irish. I mean, to a lot of people now, because I've been living on the mainland for um, longer than I lived in Ireland, I don't sound Irish anymore, you know, and, and some jobs I apply for, it's like, oh, she doesn't sound like I was expecting her to sound like. Can you sound more Irish or yeah. what have you? Um so, so it's perception as well and understanding your experience with the accent and not underestimating how personal someone's connection to their accent or another accent yeah. may be. Yeah, yeah, no, because I, I was listening to your, about a year ago, in fact, on uh, The Voice Over Social, you did an interview with Doc Brown. And um, there's mm. lots of things you talk about, but one of the really interesting parts of it for me was you were talking about the sensitivity of describing language or describing um, different accents, so different or different genders, different ethnicities, and that's something I think that directors are often nervous about um, because they're worried that they're going to choose the wrong 
language to describe something. I mean, you were particularly yeah. uh, referencing the the term urban. Yeah, what does urban, urban and street come came up, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I think what you mentioned there about nerves is um, understandable in the current climate, and it's something that no one should feel ashamed of. I think if you feel like you're not you're not sure, then just talk to the voice. Because ultimately that shows respect and understanding um, for something that maybe not be what you're used to. Um, so I think firstly, always talk to the voice about it. and uh, But ultimately it comes down to the brief as well, doesn't it? You know, there's a, there, is a, there is an aim and a desire for a lot more inclusivity and uh, representation in voice casting at the moment, which is brilliant. But again, mm. there's a lack of specificity that comes with that, that shows a lack of respect for the diversity of accents that are out there. So if you're wanting something that is, let's be totally blatant, non-white, mm. um, then try not <laughs> try to phrase that in a way that shows respect for the uh, wonderful cacophony of non-white sounds out there. <laughs> you know, don't just put straight or urban. Um, yeah. Think about what it is you want and think about all the voices out there, do some research, look on agents' websites, listen to accents from all over the place for different ethnicities and different races and do a bit of research and decide exactly what you want and put that out. And do you think, actually, if if you found the sort of voice or a range of different sort of voices that you're... um, uh, you know, that you're really interested in, that you want it to sound a little like this or a little like that, if you sent little clips from that, is that useful or is that actually just you know, insulting. Well, I have to say from an accent perspective, generally, I love that. So one of the things I ask um, people who come to me for accent coaching is, is there anyone out there in the public eye who you think sounds like how you want to sound? You know, is there something we can use as a guide? And sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. Sometimes I pick a few things from my catalogue and say, what about this one? That aren't necessarily celebrities, but they're people who have recorded their voice for dialectsarchive.com or um, Mm. they're in the British Library Sounds Archive, for example, um, which are two brilliant resources for accents. So so I, I, if it it, like we, we're just finishing it an episode in the Voice Over Social podcast about RP, <laughs> um, which is a perfect example of the RP is not just RP anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's on a spectrum. So if you know of someone in the public who sounds like what you would like them to sound, how you want the voice to sound, then absolutely. I don't think it's um, an issue to um, to put that out there. That happens in all areas. You know, I, I've had briefs that say um, they want someone that sounds like Dervla Kerwin or they want someone that sounds like your woman from Father Ted. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I think voice uh, sort of references are really useful, particularly at the moment if you're feeling your way through something that feels... Uh, sensitive or that feels like it deserves uh, a bit more respect and understanding. Okay, so that's good. That's great to know, actually, from a director's perspective, because it could be a really useful um, reference, really useful shorthand for them to try and describe what they're what they're actually looking for. Mm. So with um, with advertising copy, because that that, I I find that really interesting, advertising copy and corporate scripts, they, they need a very particular kind of approach. Often you have to kind of get your voice around quite formal language sometimes within them uh, and make it sound effortless. So have you got any tips on how you could shape 
um, how you could approach scripts like that and 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 shape them. Yeah, I think with commercial copy, there's oh my gosh, there's so rich with things that you can use. And again, this comes back to just looking at what's on the page and trying to sort of take the emotions out of it for a while um, and look literally at what's written on the page because a lot of advertising copy is based on the you know general rules of rhetoric. You know that um, hark back to Aristotelian times that kind of persuasive language that ability to put across your argument because ultimately that's what a commercial is it's like a a nice light-hearted manipulative argument as to why somebody should buy your product so I find a lot of value in rhetoric when I'm coaching voiceover clients and also self-directing myself Um, so a couple of the things that pop up a lot with um, in terms of rhetorical devices are things like repetition um things like climax so um going from one concept to another concept to another huge concept like um mm. like a really basic version would be like one day one week one month you know you, there's something really yeah. nice you can find in the structure of understanding the climax from one day up to one month what might that bring to the shape of a line um things like the rule of 3 so a lot of the time you'll get one, two, and three. <laughs> um, yes. And that is really nice for shaping as well. Uh, one of my favourites is antithesis too. So that's the idea of opposites. So um, uh, what's that quote? Uh, Small step for man, one giant leap, oh, for, giant mankind. leap for mankind. Yeah. yeah. So that's a classic example of rhetoric. But like simple examples might be day and night, left and right, up and down. And you can use the idea that those are opposite concepts. Again, just to give you a little bounce from one to the other or find some shape or some drive. Yes. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of rhetoric. And there's some really good books out there you can get to to give that go really, really ridiculously geeky into it. And you don't need to, but this is all this is all the coaching stuff that's hung a hangover from my you know days in drama school teaching Shakespeare or trying to get to the grips with like George Bernard Shaw or you know, all these big hefty texts. Weirdly, yes. very useful for commercial copy. Um, and the other thing as well, I would say, is always find the story. So even if the story is "Thank you for calling. Your call is important to us. Please hold." There's still a story there. It's still an intro, exposition and an outro. Um, So understanding a very basic story arc, giving a little introduction, then there'll be a bit of exposition, then you'll get a bit of action and a bit of climax. And then you'll get that final kind of resolution at the end or conclusion. And then there'll be a cheeky little call to action on the end usually. Yes. So it's finding the story as well. But that all comes from what's on the page. You know, it's not um, rocket science. And it's often a lot easier to deal with than, again, those how the emotions that we want the actor to feel yes yes it's more it's more straightforward absolutely because i mean i remember writing you know i've written thousands i think probably of promo scripts over the over the years and you are you're trying to encapsulate one small story even in a 10 second even in a 5 second script yeah you're wanting to get a particular um a particular tiny minute story across and that's why voiceovers that can actually actually understand that and lift that story out of the copy are, are gold. I mean, you're, that's what you're hoping for. Um, yeah, I mean, it's how, it's how we learn, it's how we listen, and it's how we process things as as humans. Like, I know that, you know, we're homeschooling my son at the moment and, and seeing all the stuff he's learning through story is quite remarkable. So actually, there's a really hot topic at the moment that's come up this week on a lot of the social sites I'm on, and it comes up frequently, and it's line reading. Mm. So that's when... A, a director will say, look, could you just read it like this? And some people hate it. Some people 
love it. Where do you stand on line reading? As a as a performer, I don't really like it. But that's I come from an acting background, and directors in theatre and stuff don't do that. You know, um, they they have ways of getting what they want out of you, and it's mm-hmm. not it's not as specific that the emphasis needs to be on one particular word. Um, I would also argue that the emphasis being on a particular word doesn't necessarily make it useful for for commercial copy and and corporate anyway. And that the best way to find that is for the voice actor to kind of, you know, find their way through where the emphasis feels like it should be. But I I know that comes with experience. And I know that for directors who are up against it with time, that it can be tough. I would say don't go straight in there with a line read, you know, if use a few other tactics first. And if you get into like five to the air and you've still not got it, try and do one. But maybe phrase it in a way. For me, it should always be a last resort, I think, personally. I understand people don't mind, but, you know, I find it a wee, a wee teeny bit insulting yeah. if it's used straight away. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I'm, get, I'm still not getting it after 55 minutes and, you know, you've spent your money, then you can say, can you just do it this way for safety or something and phrase it in a way that doesn't make me feel like a complete failure. <laughs> if there was one hot tip, one thing that you could give a voice director, one useful tip that they could use in the booth in the moment, what would it be? Okay. I think it's I think don't underestimate how important it is for the voice artist to feel comfortable in the room. So your version of what comfort is may be very different to theirs and it will be because they're the one that's the hired monkey. <laughs> you know, they're the one that's got to perform. And I think voice ultimately is a holistic practice, like I've said boringly yeah. about three times. If they're coming in and they've had a, a bit of a tricky journey or a lovely journey, they're just excited and they need a bit of time just to ground themselves and, and have a teeny warm up and feel comfortable and welcome in the space, that is how you're going to get your performance more quickly and more easily. So make them feel welcome because their body will relax, their breath will relax, and therefore the voice will be freer to respond to what you need. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And your, just to, to your new podcast, the Voice Coach podcast, it's, it's already launched. Though, how, how can people find it? Um, it's basically everywhere. So, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all the usual podcast places. Um, or I will, if you find me on social media somewhere, I'll probably be shouting about it from the rooftops. <laughs> so if you go to my Instagram or something, you'll find it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just search the usual podcast places. Yes. Okay, brilliant. And I'll, I'll obviously I'll put it all in the, in the show notes as well. Now, is there anything else that I've missed or anything else that you would like to say? Oh, I don't think so. Just um, thank you and be nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay. I think oh, I think uh, actually it's I think it's really important to also just say how much voiceovers love getting direction these days, you know, because so much of it is remote. So most of us will really thrive under a kind of like intense responding to direction, listening to you, deciding what you want and all that kind of thing. Like we love that. I love yes. it when I get directed now. I love it when, you know, you do a job at home and and you send it off and they're like, "Yeah, that's fine." And you're like, "Oh, okay." Bye. Like, whereas when you're in the room, it's exciting and or even not in the room because no one's in the room at the moment. But like, you yeah. know, don't be afraid to ask for more and to push and to prod and to pull, but do it in a way that is like um, 
excited and, you know, sensitive and understanding, enthusiastic, um, because we do love it, you know. Absolutely. Because it's, it's really switched, hasn't it, actually, on that note? It's, it's, I mean, it used to be that I was in a studio far more than I was in my own booth, actually. Yeah. I, I used to go to, and now, of course, it's completely switched, um, you know, a year, well, nearly a year into lockdown it's more unusual to go to a studio and I miss that so much. So being directed down the line, you know, being directed in my own booth is just wonderful. I love it. I know Um, I've I've been a mainly home studio voiceover. I'd say I'm probably 80% home studio since I started because I'm an Irish voice based on in England so like, you know, I don't go to I'm not flying over to Belfast to do like a, a 24 pound 50 like radio ad so so much of my stuff is remote that if I get the chance to go in a studio it's like Christmas day and I do need a bit of time just to calm myself down and steal a complimentary pen <laughs> yeah complimentary pens are great I yeah, miss those but when snacks good snacks Oh, well, thank you so much, Nick. Thank Thank you you so much for giving us your fantastic information and and insights and tips. Brilliant for, um, for voice directors everywhere, I'm sure, and voice artists, of course. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. I really do need to work on my interview goodbyes. They just kind of just fizzle out. Um, Some amazing stuff there from Nick. And as I say, all the information about working with her and the Voice Coach podcast are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Creative. Next time, I'll be looking at how to write a killer brief that will help you find exactly the voiceover you need. And as we've just discovered, young northern UK male isn't necessarily going to help you find the voice. So until then, you can find me on LinkedIn. And if there are any topics you would love me to cover in the future or people you'd love me to interview, do connect and message me. I'm Samantha Boffin and this is Talking Creative. Bye. That's it for this week on Talking Creative, the art of voiceover directing. If you're new here, do take a moment to subscribe, rate and review on your favourite podcast app. Or head over to talkingcreative.co.uk where you'll find the whole series so you can get the most from every single booking.